0: This is The Podlight, a podcast by San Jose Spotlight dedicated to independent political and business reporting. I'm your host, editor Nick Preciado. On today's show, we're discussing the resignation of San Jose State University's president and a potential wave of evictions across the city. In a surprise announcement this week, San Jose State University president Mary Papazian said she's resigning at the end of the year. Her resignation follows a settlement with the federal government over a sex abuse scandal in the school's athletics department. Joining me now to talk more about this is senior reporter Eli Wolf. How's it going, Eli? Good, Nick. So tell us about some of these scandals uh, Papazian's administration faced leading up to her resignation.
1: Sure. Well, of course, the big one is the sex abuse scandal uh, in the school's athletics department. Um, Basically, last month, the DOJ in San Jose State announced a uh, $1.6 million settlement Following an investigation that found that the school basically failed to properly investigate complaints about sexual harassment dating back to 2009 um, that were allegedly uh, uh, committed by the director of the sports medicine program. Um, so, last year, there were also several women of color who accused Papazian's administration of racial discrimination after they were uh, looked over for promotion. Um, and she's also been criticized for failing to provide emergency housing for homeless students. So, uh, It's been a few different things.
0: Now, what are community leaders and those at the university saying about the president's decision to resign?
1: I think generally people are saying that this was the right move because these complaints were still surfacing under uh, Papazian's watch. Um, Sparky Harlan, the CEO of the Bill Wilson Center, uh, said that Papazian should have made sure that the uh, sports director who was being complained about, Scott Shaw, uh, no longer had access to students as soon as those complaints first emerged. Um, there's also a demand for more action. Uh, Professor Scott Myers Lipton uh, wants to know who else in the school was aware of what was happening, what they did about it, or what they didn't do about it. Um, and, and basically saying that until those questions are answered, there's not going to be really space for uh, community healing.
0: Now, walk us through the allegations against Scott Shaw. That's uh, the former director of sports medicine at the university. Uh, so, walk, walk us through the allegations against him as well as what the Department of Justice found uh, in their investigation.
1: Right. So the, uh, the first complaints about Shah emerged over a decade ago. And uh, according to the feds and to the school, basically 23 female students claimed that Shah inappropriately touched them. Um, and uh, w- one of the interesting details here was that, uh, you know, the school did investigate this in uh, 2008, 2009, and um, at the time found that no no wrongdoing had occurred. Um, or at least nothing that warranted action. Um, There was a more recent investigation uh, where the school essentially overturned the results of that old investigation and and did substantiate the complaints that had originally been lodged against Shaw.
0: I see. And two whistleblowers at the school allegedly faced retaliation for speaking up about Shaw. What can you tell us about that?
1: So the head coach of the women's swimming and diving team, uh, Sage Hopkins, repeatedly reported concerns about shot at school, uh, basically spanning over a decade, uh, as recently as 2020. Um, and uh, he, he eventually got frustrated after the school didn't respond as well as it, he felt it should have, and uh, uh, essentially went over their heads to the CSU to, to raise these complaints. Um, when he did that, um, Stephen O'Brien, the former deputy athletics director Uh, claims that he was instructed to uh, discipline Hopkins for this, uh, uh, I guess, this transgression, um, and he refused to do that. And um, O'Brien claims that he was actually terminated for refusing to discipline Hopkins for his whistleblowing. Um, So both of these guys now have lawsuits pending against the school for retaliation and, in O'Brien's case, wrongful termination.
0: Okay. Now, following the sex abuse scandal, Papazian oversaw the restructuring and expansion of San Jose State's Title IX office. What is Title IX and why is the expansion of this office significant?
1: Sure. So Title IX refers to a federal law that prohibits sex-based discrimination at schools that receive federal monies. So many colleges maintain Title IX programs that are basically there to investigate discrimination and sexual misconduct. Um, so the, the federal investigation basically found that San Jose State's Title IX program failed to protect students. So one of the major terms of the settlement was that the school had to revamp its program and, uh, you know, expand the number of officers they have. Uh, so in theory, that's significant because it will hopefully prevent this kind of abuse from happening in the future. Um, but obviously, there are a lot of people waiting to see how they actually apply those additional resources.
0: Right. now with this uh, resignation, it's not happening until December, I believe. What's next for San Jose State? Who's uh, set to replace Papazian as president?
1: So right right now, we don't exactly know who's going to come in to replace her. Um, the CSU chancellor, Joseph Castro, is supposed to meet with um, some campus stakeholders at some point in the future uh, before they name a interim president. And uh, that, that's all we really know at this
0: stage. I see. Well, thank you for coming on and explaining that, Eli. Really appreciate it. Thank you. San Jose Spotlight is a community supported, nonprofit news organization fueled by readers and listeners like you. You can support our work by becoming a sustaining member with a monthly or annual donation on our website, sanjosespotlight.com. Thousands of San Jose residents are at risk of losing their homes now that the statewide eviction ban has ended. While many tenants are seeking rental assistance, landlords will be able to start pursuing debts owed through small claims court on November 1st. Joining me now to talk more about this is reporter Tron Nguyen. Hey, Tron, how's it going?
2: Good. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So Tron, let's get right into this. How many households in the city are behind on rent?
2: Yeah. So as of September, according to National Equity Atlas, um, estimating that 12,800 San Jose households are behind on rent. um, This is with an average of $4,600 in debt. um, That's totaling out to um, more than $58 million in rent all in the city. The state program that has been assisting with rent relief also give us a better picture of the people who are applying for these rent relief. Um, In Santa Clara County, more than ten thousand seven hundred applications have been received. Um, In San Jose alone, that's more than seven thousand applications been received. Um, The and for Santa Clara County. more than 3,000 households have been served um, in, San, in San Jose alone. That's um, more than 2,100 households been served um, in, in terms of rent relief.
0: And what is the city doing to help residents who are behind on rent or struggling to pay?
2: Yeah, so at the beginning of August, the city has started um, a program called Eviction Help Center. Um, it's has CIN expand to... Have another office um, in East San Jose in the Franklin McKinley School District in particular. Um, the permanent help center um, is on the 12th floor of City Hall, um, but the one in East San Jose has uh, was expanded uh, with the anticipation that the eviction moratorium will hit that area harder. Um, so this this um, this new center that's open. Um, in August 23rd, really targeting lower income renters. Um, the program has all, has, has helped um, over 500 households already since it's open in August.
0: Now Tron, you went out to these eviction centers earlier this week. What did you hear from the residents who you talked to that are uh, seeking help?
2: Yeah, so a lot of people are still um, needing help with their application with the state program, but some of them are already seeing um, eviction notice in their inboxes or at their front door. Um, in one case is, um, with Sandra Campos. Um, she is a resident in San Jose for more than 17 years. Um, she lost her job um, last year during the pandemic and she has been relying on her savings and unemployment checks um, to make ends meet. Um, she's a single mother of four and since the unemployment benefits and the eviction moratorium expired earlier last month, um, she has been struggling to um, pay off the rent that she owed to the property manager. Um, And now she, this week, she has come to the eviction center um, to find a way to Pay off this debt. Um, Some other people that I talked to also said that they have trouble um, finding work or because of their disability um, or their injuries, they haven't been able to work. And with the eviction moratorium expire, um, now they are essentially scrambling to find a way um, to pay for rent that is due on October 1st.
0: Now, the help center worker you spoke with, she mentioned that the centers are actually seeing a decline in people seeking help. Why is that?
2: Sure. So the program manager, Emily Hipslop, had told me that one of the biggest um, misconceptions um, about the eviction moratorium is that people thought that they cannot apply for a rent assistant um, when that moratorium expired. That is not true. Um, People can still apply, funding is still available. Um, A lot of funding is still available, actually. And the eviction help centers um, can help people navigating through this application process. Um, She also shared that in a couple of cases, um, the workers there have helped um, residents to set up emails um, if they don't have emails, so they can track their application process. Um, which could take a couple weeks to a couple months um, for the checks to arrive, um, but the help centers are now also thinking um, to of shifting their focus to education and legal aid. Um, with the education side, as I said, this was a misconception that um, you can no longer apply because the eviction ban has ended. Um, and with the legal aid, she expects that more people are going to be coming to the help center mid-month when they actually got served with eviction notice. Um, and at these uh, at these centers, um, they can help renters and tenants um, connect with attorneys that could help them um, fight their eviction. And these are volunteering. Um, attorneys through Law Foundation, Silicon Valley, and Bay Area Legal Aid. Um, They have specific time that you can come and talk to um, representatives there at these centers.
0: Well, it's nice to see people helping out during such a precarious situation. Thank you for coming on and explaining this, Tron. Of course. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight, the city's first nonprofit news organization dedicated to independent reporting. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.